0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I need to put a disclaimer on today's message. Um, And I want to start by saying this. Most of you know that we have a a counseling center here at River Bluff, uh, and there's a reason for that. it's mostly because your pastor's so messed up that you know it it takes a a fleet of counselors Um, the truth is all of us at some time or other in our lives need somebody to come alongside us to help us find access to the grace that God has available for us there's not a one of us that doesn't need that in our lives all of us do and I've been a recipient of, of that kind of grace in my life through Christian counseling. You've heard me talk about that before. I've been the recipient of inner healing prayer and God, God helping unlock things that kind of have my heart in captivity and bondage. We, we all need those kinds of things. And today I'm going to press in on some things that may, may, as you leave here, may cause you to think I might need that kind of help. And I want to say it's available. Uh, for some of you, maybe what you need to do today is determine that there is something in my life that I am not walking out of this building with. I'm leaving it at the cross. I, I, I don't know what that may look like for you. Maybe you need one of our prayer team members to, to pray over you, with you, for you um, as, uh, before you leave today. And they will. I, I will be glad to do that. Now, last week we talked about how grace reigns over our sin. How, how grace is greater than our failures. How grace overcomes, it conquers, it triumphs. And so I want to take a moment just to kind of step back into that thought. Um, and at the top of your worksheet, there's a blank to fill in. And the answer is not going to come up. It's a question that you, only you can answer. And it's just simply this. What do you need God's grace to triumph over in your life? Maybe it's some sin or failure. I don't know what you would write there. Maybe it's a mistake. Maybe it's a a great problem, a regret. Uh, We looked at the idea that God's grace overcomes our secrets. It's bigger than whatever our darkest secret is. We looked at grace triumphing over all that, bringing our secrets out into the light of God's grace so that we could find freedom. We talked about how God's grace triumphs and conquers over our deepest shame. That God's grace trumps over shame. It reigns over. It reigns all over all of those things. And, you know, it stirred us to joy. I, I had uh, a significant number of folks make contact with me this past week to, to just say, I, I love God's grace put on display that way this morning we're going to continue to talk about grace uh, but we're going to flip the coin over and we're going to look at this, this other side this other side of grace and this side of the coin gets messy this is where grace gets really messy because see when you're on the receiving side of, of grace when you're on that end we love talking about it we love talking about receiving grace you know it's, it's a lovely concept but when you're on the other side, when we start talking about the messiness of grace, it, it, it doesn't feel quite as lovely. We, when we start talking about the, the, the parent who berated you your whole life, the, the spouse that, that cheated on you, we're talking about the boss who fired you or the, the co-worker who stabbed you in the back or the relative who abused you. You know, grace is this wonderful idea while you're on the receiving end of it. But when it starts to think about how does it flow out of me is when it starts getting messy. And, and God's word is aware of that. In Proverbs 14.10, the Bible says this, Every heart knows its own bitterness. God's aware of this, that, that you and I have all, we all carry around some bitterness. We all carry around some sorrow. We've all been, we've all been nailed to the wall by this broken world. Now, maybe, maybe it was years ago for you. Maybe it was something that happened in your childhood. Maybe it was something that's been more recent. Maybe you were betrayed or abandoned, abused verbally, physically, emotionally. Maybe you were ignored. Maybe you were bullied. I, I, I don't know. And the thought of receiving grace is cool, but now thinking about how do I extend grace in that context, what does that look like? Well, Jesus helps us with that. And so I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. This Jesus that we talked about last week who extends grace that covers over and heals and triumphs over our shame and our secrets and our broken religious pursuits. He he has... The same grace to bring to our hurts today and a pathway out of those. That's through grace. And here's what we're going to, to deal with. We're, we're going to look at that. I'm just going to kind of tell you what the big idea is here today. Right now, the, the big idea is simply this. Because there's a litmus test, a litmus test for knowing that it's God's wonderful grace that you're really stepping into. And it's this. Is it going both ways in my life? Is is grace flowing both ways in my life? Because here's a reality. The extent to which you are willing to give grace, dispense grace, reveals how much grace you have received and the kind of grace that you received. It, it, It reveals whether or not it's really the grace of God or whether maybe there's just some cheap imitation or maybe you're just kind of faking your way through it. You know, when, when you're called to give grace to someone who doesn't deserve it, when you're called to step into the life of someone who's really hurt you, is the moment that you find out whether the grace that you have, that God says is sufficient, is really the grace of God. So, Matthew chapter 18, we're going to look at this event that's recorded there. And it involves the, the Apostle Peter. Now, some of you know a little bit about the Apostle Peter. He's, he's kind of a out there on the edge apostle. You know, he was always uh, really pushing the limits of things. And he comes to Jesus in verse 21 with this question. And most of you know, again, if you're aware of Peter, that Peter often had some kind of other agenda under the surface sometimes. And... Uh, I think this is true of the question that he comes asking Jesus on on this occasion, and it's kind of a general question, it looks like, about about this thing forgiveness. But there's also something very specific, and I think there are some underlying motives. Let's look at what what Peter comes and asks Jesus. He said, he, verse 21, he says, "Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? How, how many times? You know, is it as many as seven times?" Now, again, if you know Peter, you probably know that he thinks that he's being pretty gracious. Common teaching by rabbis in that day was three, that the limit was three. If you forgive somebody kind of the same offense three times, you don't have to forgive them anymore. You're done. You've drained grace was kind of the teaching there. And so Peter comes and thinks, I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm going to use the number seven. You know, that's like twice plus one, you know. And so you can kind of see Peter coming to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I've been thinking about this forgiveness thing. And, you know, I've decided on on seven. What do you think about that, Jesus? You know, are, are you, is your number that high? You know, you can almost see Peter thinking, Jesus is going to give me a compliment. Jesus is going to look me in the eye and he's going to say right here to me in front of everybody, Oh, Peter, I wish all the other disciples were like you, you know. You can just see he, he, he thinks it's going to go down that way, you know. Now, uh, there's that storyline maybe that was going on, but I think there was something else going on. I, I, think, that, I think that Peter's question may have had a specific context, I think that maybe that there was somebody in Peter's life who that number seven in forgiveness meant something. That there was somebody who had offended Peter seven times. And he had just gone through, he had just passed through that number six barrier and he's, he's at this number seven barrier. And so he's saying, Jesus, do I have to for, forgive this number? Is that, is that, can that be the cutoff line? Can, can this be where I no longer have to extend grace can, can it be? Now, for some of you here today, maybe there's a number attached. Maybe, you, maybe you've got it in your mind that there is a number and after that I'm not going to forgive anymore. Some of you however may be here today and there is an offense that you carry with you that is very deep and it's not like somebody offended you seven times but it's more like times 70. It's not about the number it's about the intensity of the offense and the pain that came out of the offense and and you just you're carrying that around. And normally, you know, there are, there are people who come into our lives sometimes for short, short periods of time. Sometimes they leave a wake of devastation and destruction. They're in and out and things blow up. But most of us, most of us, the pain that we experience, the pain that we carry around is, is brought on by somebody that we love. Somebody that we have given space in our heart to. Somebody that we, we kind of are involved in life with over the long haul. And we, and we carry that around. And I, I think this may describe somebody in Peter's life. That Peter is, there's somebody specifically that he's just kind of to the limit with. That he's just kind of had it. And he's asking Jesus about this thing called forgiveness. And really what he's asking is, when does, when does grace run out? When does my pain, when does my suffering trump grace? When is it, when is it so much that I no longer have to extend forgiveness? Another way of asking it is what triumphs over grace? What, what rules over, what, what could possibly reign over grace? When, when is enough, enough? And so Jesus in verse 22 looks at Peter and and answers his direct question. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say seven times 70. And what Jesus is saying here is this, Peter. Grace never loses. Grace has never lost a fight. Grace will never lose a fight. Grace, when it's God's grace, real grace, it will always triumph. But Here's what happens. We hear that and we start thinking but you don't know my story you don't know what I've absorbed you don't know what happened to me you don't know what injustice that I've experienced and Jesus says I do what you don't know is that grace always wins grace always has more to bring to the table now when we hear that we might think because so many of us are, are, are devoted followers of Christ. We might begin thinking, okay, I know that cognitively. I accept that as intellectual fact. But it doesn't feel like it. It just, it just doesn't feel like it's true. It doesn't, I, I, can't, I can't overcome these feelings of having been abandoned and abused. I, I can't get this into my realm of feelings. It feels like grace lost. It feels like grace ran out. And so Jesus, as he so often did, Jesus tells a story because Jesus knows that's what connects with our hearts. It's not always about the intellect. It's about the heart. So Jesus invites us in to the story that points out how grace reigns over our greatest hurt. Verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So we have this kind of, if you want to maybe translate it into our culture, this high-powered, you know, CEO-type ruler. And he, he, he calls his accountant in and says, I want to look at the books. You know, I know there's, some, there's a lot of outstanding debt here. What can we do about it? And he decides, I'm going to start calling everybody who owes me, I'm going to start calling them in. And he calls this one guy in. He says, I'm going to make settlements. In verse 24 it says, When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, you can read lots of different commentators on that and they will tell you what it means and they all had a different opinion of exactly what the, the 10,000 talent thing was. I just, want to, I just want to use something to employ your imagination. Let's just call it $200 million. Okay let's just say it's, it, 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 is some, it really is something astronomical that Jesus is saying here. It was something that nobody in that crowd that day could even imagine. It's kind of like ten times the national debt is kind of what Jesus was saying. Just imagine something so outlandish. Okay it's that kind of great big number. And so and one of the things that you need to realize is Jesus was using humor. This was people in the crowd that day would have laughed. You know, you got to be kidding me. There's no way in the world a servant could have incurred that much debt. Impossible. Nobody would have let let somebody incur that much debt. So there's some humor attached to this because a servant could never pay this off. It, it, it was impossible. So in verse 25, this is what happens. It says, "And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold." with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment be made. So basically what he was doing was selling them as slaves. This was not uncommon in the ancient world uh, for, for somebody to be sold, for their family to be sold, for everything they own to be sold, to, to pay back what they owed. And again, this would in no way have come close to, to paying for this, but that's, that was the order of the day. But then look what this this guy does. This guy he has this 100, 200 million dollar debt, you know, and the, the 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 ruler basically said, "I'm just going to cut my losses. You know, I know he's not going to be able to pay me back, but I'm tired of messing with it. Let's just go on this this huge debt." Now, one of the things I, I hope you pick up. You know, when Jesus is teaching, there are usually a lot of things going on in what he's saying. And obviously, one of the things that this is supposed to point to us as his followers is the great debt we owe him. The incredible debt that is we cannot pay. And we talked about this a lot last week. The Bible says all have sinned. Every last one of us is sinned. All of us have accrued a great unpayable debt to God. All of us has. Everybody on the planet has. Now, we spend a lot of time maybe trying to pretend, living in denial that we don't. Some of us, when we finally come to the place where we realize that we do, we try to work really hard through religion to pay it off. And then we finally find out we can't. And we come to realize that the only thing that can pay that debt is the grace of God. That's it. It's it's only Jesus. And so Jesus kind of begins helping us get that framed in. Because remember, he's the one, he's the one that's going to come and pay. Pay pay for, for our debt. And so the Bible paints this picture of God keeping track. That there's an accounting of, of the debt we owe. These, these things that we think nobody else knows about us, God knows. Those secrets that, you know, we think if we could just keep them hidden, uh, God knows. God, God knows all about the huge debt that you and I owe that we can never, ever pay back. So let's look back at the the story. It says in verse 26, so the the servant fell on his knees. He implored this master, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. You should laugh again. There's no way, I mean it's ridiculous. There's no way this guy could ever pay this thing back. He, he, he cannot do it. And again, I believe Jesus specifically uses this astronomical number to, to make the point that repayment is not an option. There's just, there's absolutely no chance of it. And in verse 27, here's what that power CEO master leader does. He says, out of pity for him, The master of that servant released him, let him go, and forgave him the debt. Let that go. That $150 million just wipes it out. It is, it's like an unbelievable, incredible act of grace. He doesn't, he doesn't do this. He doesn't do, you know, use a banking term and say, well, let's, we'll extend the note. He doesn't say, you know, from this point forward, all you have to do is, it's just interest only. You know, we'll just, we'll, just, we'll just do that. He says cancel. He canceled. There, there are actually two verbs that are used here. One, one basically says he's canceled the debt. The other says he, he let him go. It's translated that way. And those two different verbs are used in other places in the New Testament. And often they're both used and translated as to forgive. It is, an, it is this act to forgive, to forgive. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Just just kind of pack that away. But it's, it's this thing forgiveness. Then in verse 28, the story changes. It says, but when that same servant, the one who had just been forgiven, you know, $200 million debt, something outlandish. He says, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. Now, again, there's some people will tell you what that means in, you know, current economic value. Think 20 bucks or 10 bucks. Let's just say 10 bucks. Think 10 bucks. Okay? So, there was this $150 million and now there's this $10, 10, 10 buck debt. And, and look what, look what this it goes on. He says, um, and he sees this other servant and he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. I mean, get yourself in this story. This is what's going on. This guy who's been forgiven, 200 million, he's, he's shaking this guy down for 10 bucks. And then look what verse 29 says. His fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Now, 10 bucks. Wouldn't you imagine maybe he had 10 friends who each had a buck he could pay the guy? You know, I, I hope you have 10 friends who each have a dollar and would pay to keep you out of, you know, prison or choked or something like that. that that's kind of the storyline here of what, uh, of, of what's going on. And I think, I hope that most of us, if we, if we could try to imagine that we'd never heard the story before, we would think that what happened next was the guy, the, the guy who owed $200 million was said, I write it off. You know, I write it off. Because the, the the words that the second servant used were an exact quote of the first servant's words. He may have even been there and heard that other guy's plea to the master. He could have been there and, and chose to use the exact same language. Exact same words. But this guy would have no part of it. Verse 30 tells us he refused and he went and he put... His fellow servant in prison until he should pay the debt. Verse 31 is a very, very important verse in this story. And sometimes as we move through this story, we we don't pause and and give it the, the credit it's due. But I want us to do this for just a minute. Verse 31 says this. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were what? Greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Jesus basically says, all the other servants saw that happen and they out this guy. They go back to the master and they just, they, 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 they throw that guy under the bus with him. They're outraged. They can't believe this is going on. Now, why, why are they so upset? I mean, it's no, it's no skin off their teeth. It's not, didn't involve none of their money. You know, it kept that other servant from coming begging them for some money to pay off. Wh- wh- why are they so upset? here's what I think because they all lived in the same little community they all lived under the same leader same master same king they all were part of this same little community and they were a part of a community where obviously this this master this king had some heart of compassion for his servants even treating them more like children paying off their debts than than servants. There was this great community with this benevolent, generous, gracious leader and they, they all live in this community. And they're all recipients of that grace. But now, one is refusing to live that out. They believe that they should live like their master and when somebody doesn't, they're outraged by that. It creates a huge problem in their community. That's why the translation ESV says they were greatly distressed. Some translations say that they were very sad. All of those are appropriate responses. All of those. See, when somebody who has received unbelievable generous grace refuses to demonstrate it, our response should be outrage. Our, our response should be just kind of over the top. When somebody living in in community, when somebody living in the family of God has received incredible grace but then starts living judgmentally, starts looking at other people's kind of sideways because, you know, their problems, though they're different, they should be managing that better. They should be handling that a little better. Folks, when we see that in the body of Christ, in the fellowship, in the community of believers, we should be outraged over that. It's part of this story here. It should be a great big problem. Anytime ungrace rises up in the fellowship of the body of Christ, the people of God should experience great outrage because it creates a mess in community. And you see this in this community. Story goes on, tells us that the master finds this guy. Verse 32. The master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not have, excuse me, And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now remember, 200 million dollars. How long is it going to take that guy to pay his debt? He'll never pay it. He, he, he can't ever pay that debt. That is a forever kind of debt, especially now since he's he's in prison. He will spend the rest of his existence locked in a prison, having been publicly shamed and humiliated, living with that all the days of his life. Eternally we call that hell. That's what we call hell. It's that experience of being separated from the master's generosity and grace and living eternally with the shame and guilt that torture and punishment. So often when Jesus tells a parable when he tells a story oftentimes Jesus leaves things hanging he wants his he wants his listeners to go back home Sort through a little bit about what he said. Not just give them the quick answer. Often you'll see after Jesus gives a, a, a teaching and a parable. Um, once his disciples get him alone, he'll, they'll say hey Jesus what that mean? Because they, they, they need to help. In this story Jesus does not hold back. Jesus doesn't want anybody to be confused about this one. Jesus wants everybody to understand very very clearly. There's no vagueness here. Look at verse 35. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, immediately when we read that in this book, what we want to do is close it and kind of push it over there. That, that is not something we want to live in. We don't, we don't want to receive that. And I know some of you are thinking right now, Joe, are you telling me that if I don't get forgive that person... That you made me think about earlier who abused me, who abandoned me, who cheated on me. Are, Joe, are you telling me if I don't forgive that person that Jesus is not going to forgive me? I'm not telling you that. All I did was read it. You got to deal with Jesus on that, okay? I, I, I just read it. You go to God's word and, and you got to deal with it. See, there, there's a clear lesson right here again Jesus wants us to remember that he is he is the one that's going to pay our bill he's going to pay that mountain of debt that we we could not we're going to receive grace from him and his intent is that we would receive it in such a great capacity that we would willingly extend it to others and you know we said Last week that he came and he, he forgave us our shame, our, our secrets, our sickness, all of it. He did that. And to come here week after week after week and celebrate that side of the grace coin. But then leave here holding on to a grudge. Clinging to bitterness. Nursing resentment. Jesus said you've missed grace. Grace. You've missed the grace of God. Now again, I know that right now there are people you're thinking about who owe you something. There, there are people that you're thinking about, that they at least owe you an explanation why. There are some people that you're thinking about, you know, maybe it started in your childhood. Maybe they owe you a childhood, you think. Or maybe they owe you a marriage. Or maybe, maybe they owe you a job. Or maybe they owe you, owe, owe you money. But right here, in Jesus' story about the kingdom... A kingdom reality about grace is this. You'll never be asked to give more grace than you have received. Never. God will never ask more of you than what he's given you. See, this is Jesus answering Peter's numeric question. You know, Peter comes in with a math problem. He's saying, you know, does the seven trump grace? Is the number seven more powerful th- than the grace of God? Jesus, you know, again, we'll use our numbers. Jesus basically says, so what you're asking me, Peter, is 10 bucks greater than 200 million? I mean, that's, in our lingo, that's what, that, that would be the question. See, what Jesus is saying is what you have been forgiven of is ridiculously greater ridiculously more than what you'll ever have to forgive. Now, please hear this. That does not mean that Jesus is making light of what you've suffered. Jesus is not making light of your pain. What Jesus is doing is he's showing us that when you understand God's holiness, the real holiness of God and when you realize really who you are in in light of that holiness when you make that comparison the the, the question doesn't you know really begin to be about that any longer because you, you come into the reality of grace and if you don't it means you don't understand God's holiness or you don't really know yourself very well in his book it's titled this don't swear in church unless you actually mean it thought it was a great title. It caused me to buy it. It said, Pastor John Leroux, he he writes this, in in his book he says, if the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. If the biggest sinner that you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. Now here's, I, I read that on, it was a tweet. And I thought, now, you got to be kidding me. That's like the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Because, uh, you know, I go to River Bluff Church. There are a lot of big sinners there, you know. And the, the, there, there was just this thought in me, this pride that welled up and said, no, I, I know bigger sinners. And so I looked this guy up. I, I saw, read, read something about his book. I thought I ordered that. Started reading his book and he starts using God's word. And it starts pointing out the reality in my own life. That I'm the biggest sinner. He, he took, he, he goes to Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's young protege in the faith. And he's, he's writing to Timothy. And in, in chapter 1, he says to Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul says, and I am the worst of them all. Now, sometimes we might read that passage of Scripture and think, well, yeah, we, knew, we know about Paul's past. Man, that dude was horrible. He, he persecuted Christians. He was, he was complicit in the murder, you know, of, of Stephen. He participated in that, you know. Uh, he, he, was, he was this horrible guy until he had that, you know, magnificent experience on the road to Damascus. Life-changing. When Paul writes this to Timothy, Paul doesn't say, I was once a horrible sinner. Paul uses present tense. You see that? Paul says I am. This is the reality about me. When I look at my own sin and I think about God's holiness there's no, I'm the worst sinner I know. And we need to come to grips with the reality of our sin. So that we begin to recognize when Paul, when we read others of Paul's writings you know that we come to let god's word reign over us here when it comes to dispensing grace, like Colossians three where it says, "Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others we're We're told that we've got to forgive as the Lord forgives us Dev, i'm going to ask you to come on up y'all y'all help her did she get She's on? Okay, good. Um, We had a little mic issue in the first service and Pastor Terry and the team have helped correct that. This is, welcome Bev to our stage, please. This is Bev Minnick. We're still working on some sound stuff, but that's good. Have a seat, my sister. Um, Some of of you may remember, I'm just going to help her out here, okay? (laughs) Just hold on to that. Thank you so much. You got it? We um, had Bev on our stage last summer, uh, along with her son John, who had been miraculously healed of God. Um, Bev, I think at, at one point in the journey, how long was he hospitalized? I mean, it was like March 15th to April 20th, to May 23rd. To, to May 23rd, so a little over two months. Um, and the. At one point, doctors came in and uh, basically told you John only had a few hours left to live um, if you needed to call somebody to do that and uh, that sent you to God in ways that you had never gone to him before. Um, yes. And you shared a little bit what that, was, what that was like and it was the first time you or at least, you know, you, you told yes, us back well, then where yes, you had well. to totally trust trust God. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Well, out of out of that, after that miraculous healing, uh, Bubba, wave wave your hand. <laughs> Come on, wave your hand. Bubba's back there, by the way. He he is he literally is a walking miracle. Yes. yes. Um, God used medicine. We know that, um, but that, that he's here is, is incredible. But that wasn't the end. Of God's miraculous healing in your life was it? Only just begun. That was was kind of a beginning point. Um, Out of that journey uh, of trust God revealed to you that you had been battling something for since you were about 12 years old I think you told us?
1: Yes I've been battling an eating disorder and um, when I was going after Bubba got healed I was led to this uh, Passage. It says, "Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who comes from God and dwells inside of you? Do you do not own yourself, and you have been purchased at a great price?" And
0: that that season kind of launched you into Getting um, into this journey to be set free from from that that struggle yes um, and you've, you've written me several times about this and you've you've told me Joe whenever you're ready I'm ready to to tell people Absolutely. what God's doing in my life yes um, one of the things that you said to me was that your counselor helped you come to realize that the pathway for your healing from this involved forgiveness yes. and uh, it involved Forgiveness of, of some people in your life who, who father and my ex husband um, especially my father yeah some there were some things done to you uh, in your childhood yes uh, that um, heinous kinds of things yes. horrible kinds of things that yes. um, abusive kinds of things yes. that you, you were going to have to get. Now, what you have been set on this pathway yeah. of forgiveness. Can you, can you tell us just a little bit about how hard that's been? Well, for
1: my father, heaven forgive my father, um, I had to go to God, and he showed me through forgiveness of it. It doesn't mean that I have to agree to accept what happened, that I, didn't, that I, that I don't have to restore him to a position of trust. I don't have to maintain that relationship. I just have to obey him and forgive.
0: Okay. So it's okay yeah. to have boundaries. I have boundaries. You have boundaries, but there's still, you've got to choose to to forgive in order Absolutely. to find the fullness of healing. That, that, since, since you've made that decision, Bev, yes. to, to forgive, and, I, and and you've told me before that you've had to forgive and then you had to forgive again. And Absolutely. It, and then you had to forgive again. What, what has God done in you since you began that journey of forgiveness? For your dad and and others in your life. I'm free.
1: He's he's given me the freedom. I'm no longer shackled to that chain of uh, of the bitterness and the shame and the guilt and the blame and all that. I'm I, I'm I'm free.
0: Well, we, we we want to praise God. Now your your journey of freedom is continuing. I mean, there's still places that 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 God is setting you free. Yes. If you could ask. This group of people to say, I'm on this journey to freedom. I'm experiencing God's grace in ways that you never thought possible. I think that was one of the ways you framed it with me in a letter one time. Um, what would you What would you say? Continue to pray for me this way.
1: That I can I can win the victory over this eating disorder. It's a battle, and it's 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 it controls me every day. But I'm getting a little bit better each day.
0: Okay. Okay. And, and th- i
1: got to heal some more.
0: Okay. So con- for, for continued healing, for yes. continued grace that you need? For because by
1: grace of God that I'm here because I have to, I have been treating my body wrong for years.
0: Yeah. I, 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 we know. We know. And we're grateful for that grace Absolutely. in your life. Grateful for that grace in your life. Well, let me pray for you, and then we're going to let you step down. Father God, we, we do come. I give you thanks for the courage that it took for Bab to, to sit here and just agree out loud and say out loud uh, Father about her struggle and I come now in Jesus name and we come as a family continuing to pray for our sister's freedom and her healing and that full measure of grace God I thank you for just her life that has displayed the healing power of the gospel the healing power of grace that your grace actually can reign over the worst of abuse, the worst God of demeaning uh, that could come into a human life, and that you give us victory. So we thank you, God, for the victory that you're bringing, but we're asking for even more. We are asking for complete healing from this disorder that, that Beth struggles with every day. We thank you for the, the freedom and the victory that you've given her, but God, we're asking for you to complete it in the days ahead. We love you, Father. We love our sister, and we thank you now for her. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Dad. I, um, I, I want to kind of leave you today with what I want to just kind of describe as three um, truths, if you would that I think we, we all need to wrestle with in this area of extending, extending grace. Um, so if you want to call it maybe some take-home work, if you would. Um, and it, it revolves around three areas where we battle f- this idea of forgiving. These things that I think oftentimes stand against the pathway to God's fullness of grace is through forgiveness uh, if we're going to extend it. And so I want to give you three things. And the first one is this. Grace, real grace, God's grace uh, is the kind of grace that will reign over penance. This idea that somebody owes me something. Somebody's got to repay. There's got to be reparation made before I can forgive. That's a lie. Now, I I was raised in in a home. I grew up. I was taught as a child that if I hurt somebody... Uh, if I disrespected somebody, you know, I was responsible to go to that person and apologize and, and try to make it right. I needed to do something about that. And I want to say that is a good lesson for a child to learn. I still think it's a good lesson. But here's how Satan can distort that because he did it in my mind. I began to grow up believing that for, in order for me to forgive somebody who wronged me, they first had to do that too. You see how Satan will distort something good and beautiful and lovely and then make us think that that's what forgiveness is? That forgiveness is once they come to realize that, you know, what they've done to me, you know, and they come and they make reparation here, then I will forgive them. You know, that forgiveness only comes once somebody sets out to make it right. You know, when they do something and say something, I'll, I'll forgive them. But here's the problem with that. That is not biblical forgiveness. That, that, that has nothing to do with grace. You know what that is? We call that justice. That's you giving me what you owe me. That's, that's justice, that's what that is. So if you're gonna live that way, you gotta come up with another word because that's, that has nothing to do with forgiveness. You're not withholding forgiveness, you're waiting justice for justice. Does that make sense? And so trying to understand that, you know, you begin thinking about the possibilities of what it would look like. But what, what happens when somebody does something to you? And I believe most of us, most of us in this room have already had it happen. And if not, very few people are going to get out of this world without this experience. What happens when somebody harms you so painfully that there's nothing they can do to pay it off? What happens when somebody's, what's done to you is so, so heinous that there's no way anything they can say or do could ever make it right? Well, that's when grace comes in. That's when grace sets in. You remember verse 27, we, we talked about it earlier. The master canceled the debt. He erased it completely. You know, he didn't just extend the debt or, or he canceled it completely. And that is what God has done for us. Because it's not earned, you know. Now, your trust, Beth's trust with some of those relationships, those things may have to be earned again. But forgiveness, grace is never earned. It can never be earned. Forgiveness and grace are not dependent on what that person who hurt you does. You need to find grace because it's grace. They'll never be able to repay it. Second kind of reality about grace that's real grace, that God's grace, is grace can reign over vengeance. Grace can reign over this thing called vengeance. Vengeance is this idea that I'm going to hurt that person the way they hurt me. Now most of us in this room would never set out to actually do that. But boy do we plot internally. We just, we play that tape internally of how if we would this is what I do and we just go back and we hit rewind play rewind play rewind play we just play that over and over and over again we, we spend our lives with that approach I've heard it said that that approach that, that uh, revenge approach is, is, is sitting in God's chair that's when we, we go and literally say God I need you to get off your throne I need to sit there because somehow we think we we understand another person we understand why they did what they did we sit in God's chair we're judge and you know we think somehow that we can figure out a best future for them see we don't know the story of someone's life completely we don't know what God's going to do out of that tragedy out of those ashes to turn things around and work all things to good for His glory For those who love him are called according to his purpose. When you sit there and seethe and hit play and rewind and play and rewind, you are missing out on on the beauty that God has for you. Romans chapter 12, Paul writes this. He says, dear friends, never take revenge. Don't take it externally. Don't take it internally into your life. It, It will kill you. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. You, gotta you got to release it. You've got to let it go. you got to let whatever the debt g- is go. And then you have to do what that, that master did. He let them go. Now, you're going to say it's not fair. You're right. It, it is not fair. You're going to say they don't deserve it. And you're right. They don't, they don't deserve it. And it doesn't mean you're not gonna hurt anymore. In fact the reality is if you become a person who lives out the grace of God you're gonna hurt. It, it's going to hurt. You're going to if you if you extend grace to anybody you're go, there's gonna be a pain attached to you. In some ways choosing grace is choosing to live with the consequences of somebody else's struggle because they can't make it right. There's no way they will ever make some things right. But ultimately, God can resolve that in you. God can overcome that hurt. Grace can actually triumph over the hurt. I want to pause here to help us think about the big story in which this little story fits in. Because there is, there is the big story of somebody who took pain and suffering because of their relationship with you. The perfect, beautiful, lovely son of God who never did you any harm, never did you any wrong, but the Bible says you sinned against him. You sinned directly against the Lord Jesus and he took the consequences. He took the pain. He took this. So it's not that he doesn't understand yours. He just says there's a better way. There's a better way. Lastly, the thing that I would tell you to take home and ponder and think on is this, grace when it's God's grace when, it re- when it's real grace will always triumph will always reign over bitterness will always come overcome bitterness here's what bitterness is bitterness is just quietly becoming angrier and angrier for the hurt that somebody else brought into your life it's just thinking about that offense that they did continuing to relive that pain there's a playback mode to this thing called bitterness as well but when you choose bitterness who pays for it we know that many of us have heard the that the definition of bitterness is drinking a bottle of poison expecting it to impact the other person that's what that's what bitterness is There was an obituary that came out last week that went viral. I've redacted some things from it because I didn't think the person's name needed to be mentioned. But this is what, this was the the obituary that was, that happened last week. It's about this person that was born March 1938. Um, In 1957 they got married, had two children. In 1962 this woman became pregnant by her husband's brother and she moved to California. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay. They were raised then by her parents. She passed away on May 31st 2018, in Springfield and will now face judgment she will not be missed by Gina and Jay and they understand that this world is a better place without her that's an actual obituary from last week can you imagine the kind of pain that Gina and Jay are locked in to want to go public with something like that Can you imagine the bitterness that they have played and replayed and continue to replay to have written something like that? They're they're, they're locked in that. See, remember the guy who was forgiven the $200 million debt? Remember that guy and he refuses to forgive a $20 debt? See, what you might not know is that about that ancient culture is this if you were going to take somebody as the story says and you were going to put them into prison you had to pay the prison you had to in in a debtor's prison in that society if you wanted to send somebody to debtor's prison you had to pay for them to enter the prison folks bitterness is like that the only person who pays when you nurse bitterness is you. you. You pay the penalty. That's how, that's just how bitterness works. It's just how it works. You know, do they deserve it? Maybe. But if you keep them locked in bitterness, you're going to keep paying and you're going to keep paying and you're going to keep paying. You pay the bill. You'll foot it. I love what Lewis Smead said in his little book called Forgive and Forget. He wrote these words. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and later discover that that prisoner was me. See, that's, that's what forgiveness does. When I forgive, a prisoner gets set free, but the prisoner that's set free is me. See, Jesus has promised to all of us who follow him, who choose to receive his grace and then live out his grace, is that grace can always reign. You can never drain grace of grace. It is always there. Grace reigns and triumphs over everything. Not only can it conquer your sin, but it can conquer your worst hurt. It will overcome all of that. See, you and I have to remember that Jesus... Jesus, in his act of grace, exchanged accounts. He took his account, you know, and he gave it to us. And he took our account and took it on himself. What, what we owed. We, we received that. And the key to being like Jesus and giving grace is just simply this. You and I have to stop thinking about what's been done to us we have to quit playing play and rewind and play you gotta stop that you gotta stop the thinking about that and what you have to start thinking about is what's done for you stop thinking about what's been done to you start thinking about what's been done for you when that thought of bitterness rises up stop it and think about what was done for you on the cross what your future in the power of the resurrection looks like. That's the only thing that will stop that. That's the only thing that will stop bitterness. It's the only thing that's going to stop revenge and and, and this spirit of vengeance. It's, it's the only thing that's going to stop it. It's to think about what's been done for you and stop thinking about what's been done to you. And that involves replacing. When, when you feel that you gotta stop and you gotta think about the cross. And you've got to think about the beauty and power of Jesus' resurrection and what he's promised to you. And only living that out will you find the grace to forgive somebody else what's been done to you, even when they don't ask for it. Let's pray. Father God, we come. God, some of us locked up in a prison of our own making prisons of revenge prisons of bitterness and God we come today wanting to be set free and we come God reading your word and understanding in kingdom economy the the only way that we can be released from our own captivity released from bitterness released from vengeance the only way that that release comes God is when we release another the only way that the shackles will fall off of us is when we choose to unlock that which we've got someone else shackled to so God my prayer right now for for us as your people is God that we would be released today we would take that first step Of forgiveness of releasing another whoever it is not waiting for the day that they come to us and ask for it not waiting for an explanation not waiting for an apology but God we would release the debt even a debt that could never be repaid even the debt that's going to cause us to carry hurt and suffering that we would release it so that we can get out of prison ourselves Father, I I just ask you now, Lord Jesus, to do a work that only you can do. And where we need to forgive, God, you you would point it out. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would have your way. In these moments when we sing about your grace, about your beauty, about your glory, about what it's like to live in your economy, God, we pray, God, that you would give the power to us To take that first step to live in grace and live it out fully. For the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of our own lives. God, we want all of that grace. Show us how now. Father, we come also to worship you. We want God to bring our tithes and offerings because we want the message of hope in the gospel the hope of grace that triumphs over every suffering and sin and hurt to go forth through all the world so we come to give and celebrate that now we worship you Father Jesus we thank you that you paid a debt that we couldn't pay so that we can forgive debts that have been against us Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 930 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.